millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. If country borders and grids can fascinate you and state names intrigue you, if atlases, globes, city plans, subway maps, and of course, world maps are your thing? If you can name the capital city of Namibia, and if you get giddy about flags, you are in the right place. This is Map Corner, a podcast about the love of maps brought to you by Royfield Brown and Claire Asprey. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Map Corner. I'm Royville Brown, who is 52 uh, degrees uh, and 49 minutes north and 1 degree and 89 minutes west, which puts me in my hometown of Birmingham. And with me is Claire Asprey. Where are you today, Claire? As usual, I'm in Bedfordshire, 52.2 north, 0.5 east. It's pretty boring. You never move about, do you? I never I'm, move I about. am I'm the dynamic one. Like you are. Well, one of us has to be dynamic, don't they? <laughs> map corner is the podcast dedicated to the love of maps and to all things cartabilic so if peters is your projection folks you're in the right place now this month we speak to my new best friend it's matt breen of the explorers podcast and we have a wonderful audio postcard from ken mcdonald in durham north carolina uh, folks don't forget to review us on apple itunes we need those reviews because um basically we go up those podcast charts and because we're live on Zoom today, which is our new format, we're going to be inviting those who are joining in to ask questions and to join in with the next broadcast, join the Facebook group to get the details of the next show. Um, that's super duper important. So if you are listening to the regular podcast, uh, go on to Facebook, uh, type in Map Corner and you get all the details of when we go live on Zoom. Uh, we will be recording every first Saturday of the month at 6 p.m. UK time, which is 1 p.m. Eastern and 10 a.m. Pacific. Uh, so sorry for those in the Antipodes, uh, but somebody had to uh, take a bullet for, for us uh, doing this at those times, and you took that bullet. But we're going to start by uh, talking to Matt Bream from the Explorers podcast. 
I spent a uh, really interesting evening listening to some of the episodes of that recently. And, uh, and, the, and the first thing that came to me was the desperate, uh, fatal nature of some of the explorers that you've talked about who did not have an easy time of it. So uh, w- welcome, Max. And tell us what inspired you to start a, a podcast about exploring. Thank you. Welcome. I, uh, um, with regard to the Explorers podcast, I'm a history nerd. I love anything about history. I uh, grew up just loving good stories and good adventures, whether it was a movie or book, or I always tell this story. My parents got a 1968 encyclopedia set, world book, and me, the nerd, would sit and flip through it and just read things. And I love stories of, of this kind of nature. And so when I, uh, when I had some time a few years ago, I said, I want to do a podcast. And I was looking what was there. And um, I ended up just finding a place that I didn't think was filled, a niche. And uh, that became the Explorers podcast. And I did it for a few years, kind of on and off, you know, uh, about once a month or so. And in the last six months, we've really ratcheted up things. So we're doing three, four podcasts a month now. And that's where we're at. Fantastic. And um, so of the of the explorers that you've covered, um, you know, are there particular tales that you you like the best, or particular eras of exploration that you think are the best? Because there are different types of exploration over different eras of history. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely got your your different time frames, and there's different things going on. Um, I mean, the one that most people tend to really associate with exploration would be the age of discovery, which would be. 1400s into early 16, mid 1600s. And that is probably the most, I want to say fun. Uh, and it's, it's fun because to the world, you're, you're unveiling the world to the world. You know, you, the, no one knew where a lot of this stuff was, um, short of the people who actually lived in each of those spots. But um, the world was basically revealed at these times. And uh, so going into these unknowns was just great. Um, those are fun stories. Uh, I do have a, I have a soft spot for some of those um, jungle explorations. I think the first thing I ever read that made me uh, love exploration was Alan Moorhead's White Nile and Blue Nile about the looking for the source of the Nile. And, and so I have a, a soft spot for that stuff, but uh, um I love it all, to be honest. And um, uh, I think that, like I say, that that just the finding of things is just really exciting. And, and I think that's for everyone. Yeah, I think from a map perspective, the um, the age of discovery put things on a map that people didn't even know was there. So that's definitely a really exciting yeah. time. Yeah, it put um, the world in context for everyone. And, yeah. and, you know, it was, and I think that that was, you know, kind of got the idea. Okay, I know stuff's up here and stuff now, but... I mean, to not know where the Americas were <laughs> was obviously meaning that we didn't know the whole context of the world. So, is it been a net benefit to the world that today of all days, I'm saying this, that the Americas was even discovered by Europeans? Has it been to a net benefit? <laughs> you, you know, I was thinking about this exact question, uh, honestly, and you did not feed this to me or anything. You, I actually thought about this and I said, mm. I, I don't know if it would have been any different. I think the the one other place, person, group, if you want, whatever you want to call it, who could have found the Americas and actually done this. And I and I thought to myself this morning, would this have been any different? Would have been the Chinese. And the Chinese mm-hmm. in the Ming Dynasty era were 
they they had the the treasure fleets they were expanding throughout um into europe the the trade the the ships were sailing to africa and then but then they as a society after and i apologize i can't remember the specific emperor after one emperor died there was kind of a closing in where they kind of said hey we need to focus on our own world and literally at times they started burning these ships so that they couldn't have done it but they created some of the biggest ships i think the the thing they created ships that were not surpassed in size till world war one and i mean these were 400 foot ships that they built for this treasure fleet where they would sail to to the into the indian ocean and into africa and to the middle east and trade and if they would have if china the chinese would have turned their their way east in that case they could have been the if they would have maintained that expansionist mode and an attitude they could easily have found the americas before europeans and would that and i was thinking would that have been better or not and and you know i'll be honest my initial thought is no it wouldn't have changed things because most societies by nature in history have been press into other areas and conquer and take and exploit. I mean, that's my opinion on things. I I don't think there's a massive, um, I don't think there's a massive difference if you look at the histories of Genghis Khan or Europeans or whatever, but it certainly would have been much more interesting because um, China, I mean, it would have been fascinating. I would love to have seen that, but I don't know. But ultimately, People get greedy and greed drives so much of this. And that means if you have better technology, which the Chinese did, they would have probably done a lot of these same things is my initial guess. Uh, Matt, you've answered my question with much more seriousness than the one <laughs> I actually posed it. And actually very clear, and I, you know, saying yeah, today of all days when it's uh, American Independence Day. Um, I read Gavin Mendes's book, um, for uh, fourteen twenty nine was it, and I thought it was a rip roaring read, and it's been debunked as pseudo history, mm-hmm. and the whole genesis of that book is that the treasure fleets didn't just go to the East African coast from China, but they went all the way to the New World, and he comes up with fragmentary evidence that um, they went to what is now South America, North America. And he, and he spots uh, uh, loan words from, from Cantonese, which are used by Native mm-hmm. Americans and the only way they, and whatever. Um, but, I, but I'm going to disagree with you, right, in that I think what the Chinese uh, demonstrated, whether they got all the way to the New World or not, is that, because they felt themselves culturally superior, they didn't see the need to conquer native peoples and to have colonies in the Western European sense. Um, and in Southeast Asia, they didn't, because they saw the Middle Kingdom as the cent- center of the world, didn't they? So if, and I said, this was really a jokey question, but now you force right. me yeah. uh, to think about this seriously. If we look at, Chinese uh, trade patterns and uh, in that 
late medieval, early modern era, they didn't drop off soldiers or traders at all the places that they went to in, in India, in Southeast Asia, etc., and then expand their influence. They went there to trade, to see the world, and decided, hmm, all of our stuff that we have in China is better. Uh, no need for us to keep doing this. So if they got all the way over to, to North America, I put it to you, sir, that um, native peoples in North America um, wouldn't have had the history that they had post the Colombian era. I there are certain you can definitely argue that. Now I would say with the Chinese, they were expansionists in ways into what would be modern day Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, those in Indochina, what I would call Korea, areas that they didn't necessarily control or anything like that. So they in their initial thing and to some of the islands and so forth in the uh, um, South Pacific and in the Far East area there, they weren't necessarily, as you said, going out and colonizing all these people. And the, the treasure fleets weren't there for that. Um, although they did in, I believe it was Sri Lanka, do some, do some landing, some armies and things like that um, because people wouldn't trade with them. Uh, but I also think the Chinese uh, era that we're talking about was very short. So uh, I believe, I think in time, this is me being cynical. I think greed overcomes things a lot. And I do think there would have been. Now, I will say if the Chinese had gone to the Americas, the one thing they would have found, they would have found the areas of um, North America first, as opposed to the very, very um, populated and much more technically advanced areas in Central and South America. And there wouldn't have been much of a need to, um, to do any sort of that, like conquering and, and so forth. It probably would have been more like trading posts and so forth. But uh, ultimately, when they get down there and you find really, really, really valuable stuff, um, like I would, you know, the Aztec, the Inca type empires thing, people are going to People are going to push. Uh, I think that that's just the nature of history. It's has shown generally shown that um, they want that stuff. So, so, so I'm cynical. And we had we had so when we when we met each other last year in Boston at the Sound Education Conference, and and I chaired a panel, and I felt somewhat guilty about um, beating you up a little bit. And it was an, and 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 it's because um, and it's, it's been exacerbated now by Black Lives Matters is that there is a pivot away from old white men heroes adventurers absolutely um, um, so how how do you still uh, maintain uh, the relevancy of of what you're doing because these men did do daring do's. I'm not yeah. going to sit here and say that you know it was all rape and pillage and there's nothing yeah. to be learnt from Ferdinand and Magellan going throughout mm -hmm. the world and whatever because they did map the world. But how do you react to those accusations that you, you're reinforcing a Eurocentric view of the world with with your podcast? It's it's a great question and and you know there isn't a perfect answer. I'm you know say right right now. Um, 
history and the way we look at history and the way we talk about history is always evolving. And I think that we have to acknowledge that. Um, I do know that it's, I have seen my own way I talk about things change, even from when I started it four years ago, and not even in the context of, of the recent protests and so forth around the world. Um, I think that uh, you can look at history, and those are the things that happened, you know, the events that happened, but also we have to then take the context of history and try and learn from that. Try to not only entertain, I mean, it can be entertaining to read, as you said, about Ferdinand Magellan sailing around the world and doing whatever, but learning more about that and trying to understand how that changed many, many things. And, you know, you, we can go into a million different things on, on how one explorer or whatever changed the world and how, how those things, and this isn't a great answer, Royfield, I, and I'm sorry, it's kind of nuanced and nuanced is not always what we like because it requires me to babble. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that we have to acknowledge what those we can learn, we can educate and we can learn what these things have done, not just at the time, not just in the aftermath, but to today. Um, you know, I think the very simplest expl you know, examples are things like, you know, what colonial Spain did in 1519, um, what Hernan Cortez reverberates to today with the native peoples with, you know, and not just, you know, when I say like the native peoples, like, oh, the, the, the Aztecs or whatever, but a million other small tribes, different type, different ethnic groups in, in that area with the Europeans who followed afterwards, those things form their history. And I think that if we, we need to learn all, all of this, if we want to actually come out of this better, I think. And um, yes, there is a, there is a Euro Western centric to what I do. I mean, that's what I learned. I'm 56 years old and it's hard to um, undo the things that I have learned and that I find fun. But it also is the things that um, are available to me as a quote unquote explorer person. Um, the amount of things we have with uh, non-European things is just limited and for a variety of reasons, but Europeans were just the ones that did it um, in a lot of places and that we actually have the information on because a lot of it, people were explorers and we just don't know about it. Uh, but I'm kind of bouncing around Royfield and it's not an easy, it's not an easy question for, for someone like me or anyone who talks about this kind of stuff. Do we need another podcast on world war two or the civil war or whatever? It's like, hasn't that been hashed over a million times? And, uh, I think, yeah, you know, but also, uh, um, it doesn't mean we can't do it, do it good, make it entertaining, but also put it in context so that it's not just about, you know, 1519 to 1521. It is about those things that happen afterwards. It's about how those things, um, set the stage for a hundred and 200 and 500 years later. 
and um, and hopefully then it inspires people to pick those things up. And I haven't said that. I think one of my first podcasts, I went, you know, you want to talk, I think it was on the Christopher Columbus one, which was where I said the ramifications of what Columbus did were huge, were huge. And, and I'm not even just talking about his exploration. I'm talking about his setting, you know, enslavement of people, the killing of people, the setting up of, of his economic systems of, of the Spanish government. Those things were huge. And I said, I'm just not, I just don't know that stuff. And I mean, I can learn some things. And I said, that's a, that's a someone else's podcast. And I hope that some people can take those things. And I think you do see that now more and more and, and build on these things that we, we are learning. And hopefully we can all be better from it at the end. I don't think you should beat yourself up too too much, though, sir. You know, it's uh, um, because what those um, early explorers did do, those early European explorers did do, as Claire kind of says, like they they helped to map the world. I, I must admit, before I hand over the next question question to Claire, um, I love looking at those pre-Columbian era maps and there be dragons. I quite like that. You know, we don't know what's over yeah. there. You know, yeah. dragons yeah. maybe, whatever. And um, there's a certain level of romanticism, mm -hmm. uh, which um, is kind of lost by being able to map the island of Madagascar perfectly, you know, to know that it's there and to map it per perfectly. Yeah. And, and also, I think, uh, details. Something from 700 years ago, you just, St. Brendan learns there's an island out in the middle of the Atlantic. And, and it's like, okay, and he does a few weird things and that's all. Well, then when you set out sail and... 14 guys die of scurvy here and they get attacked by these people here. And it's kind of like, well, this is starting to suck. Um, <laughs> that's not very romantic, you know, when you can, or you can, when you can just say a bunch of people died on this Island, you're like, okay, I can live with that. But when you get the details, it starts getting kind of ugly too. <laughs> and that really leads into my next question. Cause I was, I was listening to um, some of the session that the series you did on Bur Burke and Wills, is it in, in yes. Australia? Oh my gosh! I like. I, I guess my question is: Were they brave or stupid? Because <laughs> like they just kept going. People died. The camels died. Then there was someone else who died. I mean, just the whole thing was such a disaster. And I was thinking, surely anyone with any sense would have turned around for somewhere safe like months ago by yeah. now. And I'm just interested in understanding what is it that drives people to keep going and keep going, even in the face of what looks like complete disaster. Yeah. Um, Burke and Wills is it, something I didn't know about. And for people who don't know it, it is the uh, uh, attempt to cross Australia back in 1860. And, um, and I, I start the, the, actually I start the, the episode, the, the series, it's an eight part series. I got my last one coming, coming out uh, in the next week. And I start at my, uh, I told, I told a quote my son said, and I said, I said, he goes, who are you doing now, dad? And, and, and uh, he's college age and he's home with us for the summer. And, or at the time he was home because of school got, got uh, pushed to remote. But I said, I'm doing Burke and Wills. And he goes, that's the Australian one. He goes, he goes, that's like Lewis and Clark with stupidity. And, <laughs> and, 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 and I, and I was like, that is so perfect. And so with regard to Burke and Wills, specifically Robert Burke, he was stupid, uh, <laughs> but I will say he was incredibly brave too. You know, you can never deny that about him. Even before he was an explorer, um, 
he, he was quoted more than once saying things like, I will never make someone do, uh, he was a soldier and a policeman. I will never make someone do what I would not do first or what I wouldn't try. And, you know, and those are admirable things. Yet he was stupid as well. And I think that um, the, when you say, are they brave and they're stupid, there's a combination of it. I think there's a fine line. What's the old thing about insanity and genius, you know? And um, I think a lot of explorers, and Burke wasn't necessarily one of them, but a lot of them are obsessive to a degree. Um, some of these people are very obsessive uh, and their personalities reflect that and they're, they're what they do. Um, but I think that there is a combination of being brave and bold and also just being dumb enough to do something like that. And in the case of someone, <clears throat> excuse me, in the case of someone like Burke, it's, it's more ignorance. You know, he had this very romantic view towards uh, exploration. It was very much of a, I would say a British kind of like those old movies, the British guys sitting around the table before the battle. And then they're going to go, we're going to organize these guys this way and that way and so forth. And then they go and champion and they do it and they win. Uh, that's the way I think he saw it. It was this grand romantic thing. Um, but uh, he was also just a stubborn man and an ego, a huge ego. And so he, that just made him stupid. And so I think there's a combination oftentimes with these people um, of, of, of bravery, stupidity, um, in, in, and so forth. So it's a little bit of both or a lot in some cases. So that's a classic example of foolhardiness in the extreme. Um, could you give us an example of somebody who was not only brave, but incredibly smart? Sure. Um, I will. This is one of the most famous exploration things. And, and I do it because I did cover it. So I know it quite well. And that was the Lewis and Clark expedition. And none of these guys are perfect. Let's Let's say this, by the way, people always make mistakes, but I, I, I look at the following things. I was like, are you getting your people home? You know, as one of the big things I always say, you know, and are you doing it without killing a bunch of other people along the way? Um, are you, and, and most of these people, when they do this, they have a few things in common. One, they understand the value of communication with the people that they're going to see. Um, preparation, communication, and quality people. And if you listen to Burke and Wills, you will find none of that exists. Um, none of those people had the ability to operate in the bush. None of those people could speak the language of the, the Aboriginal peoples that they were going to be encountering. If you look at Lewis and Clark, they were prepared for that. They had, um, they were, they, they spent several years um, with a small group of people. So it was very focused on what they were going to do and how they were going to do it. And only one person in that, like 40 some people went from St. Louis to the Pacific Northwest and back. Only one person died and he died of a ruptured appendix. So it really wasn't their fault. Um, and they only got in one confrontation with the native peoples along the entire way, only once. And you contrast with that with other explorers and it's like, go around the bend and you just start shooting people and those people usually die at some point, but they valued, they, they, they totally understood they needed to communicate. They needed to work with people 
And um, Lewis and Clark expedition is a, I think a really good example. And not only that, but they actually had these very big goals, which is sometimes can be conflicting, but it was a scientific and it was a mapping and it was a economic, it was, there was a lot of goals and they did that. I mean, you look at, you know, William Clark's maps and they're not just like me looking like drawing stick figure type rivers and stuff. They're very detailed and the work that he did was really extraordinary. And he would spend, Meriwether Lewis would write thousands of words about the native tribes that he encountered. So it wasn't just about exploring the lands, it was exploring the people. And I always, I find it interesting sometimes someone like him provided um, a look at some of these Native American cultures in the Pacific Northwest before they actually had, were influenced by Europeans. And so it's our most pure view that we have. Again, it's through the eyes of, of white men. So that's always taken in with a grain of salt, but to have that stuff is, is really valuable from a ethnographic look or whatever, however you want to put it. And, uh, and I find that really, really interesting. And I find that really good. And um, so the scope of the Lewis and Clark and what they ultimately accomplished, and I think they had very good, they were lucky too. Don't get me wrong. Luck is a huge thing with some of these people. And uh, so that was great. What we have to do, uh, Matt, is pause on that because Ken McDonald, Nick uh, Roworth, Becky and Pat probably will have questions to ask you later. So um, you don't have any chores or anything you need to do. There's no, no, no big celebrations going on today in America, is there? You, you're, you're fine to be stuck in your Absolutely nothing going on. It's a boring day. And we, to be honest, we should be, even if it was going on with everything going on, we should stay in our basements and uh, just stick with friends and family. So, Fab. So um, it's that time, uh, folks, uh, for the Map Corner uh, quiz. So um, if you need to go and get pen and paper, uh, why don't you go and grab that now? And we will begin um, in, uh, in, in a minute or so. Oh, Nick, you won. Feel free to unmute yourself, sir. But you won the quiz last time out, didn't you? I was, I was, I think I was fourth. I was one of the winners. You know what? You're the only one that's turned up today. You were the winner. (laughs) We can rewrite history. We can rewrite history. I did my best to get other people here, you know. It's... uh... Show what they could win. Um, that you got a, a wonderful map from Ordnance Survey. Yeah, I did. It was really good. Fab. Well, um, congratulations to you, sir. Let us go through the quiz. Which country has the majority of the Atlas Mountains? Is it A. Algeria, B. Morocco, C. Mauritania? I'll read that question again. Um, which country has the majority of the Atlas Mountains? Is it A, Algeria, B, Morocco, C, Mauritania? Which is the flattest continent? Is it A, Europe, B, Australia, or C, Antarctica? Read that again. Which is the flattest of all the continents? Is it A, Europe, B, Australia, or C, Antarctica? 
Now, um, our American friends might might struggle with this one, uh, but you've got a one in three chance of getting it right. Uh, which is England's southernmost city? Is it A, Southampton, with a name like that, could well be, uh, B, Truro, C, Bournemouth. And Bournemouth was uh, big in the news in the last week because, was it half a million people, Claire, descended yeah. on the beaches down there? My, yeah. my dad's friend lives down there and apparently uh, the locals were disgusted by it. Um, lockdown Britain. Uh, Brits, as soon as the sun came out, decided to flout all lockdown uh, rules and head to Bournemouth Beach. And the scenes were utterly uh, amazing. You know, seeing some humanity all, all, all at that beach. Which country, how many countries, sorry, use the peso as currency? Is it A6, B7, C8? Now, the, these aren't the easiest of questions. And I'll just let you know. These are from my podcast co-host, Claire. She's the fiendish one that's given you really hard questions uh, this month. Let me read that again. How many countries use the peso as a currency? Is it A6, B7, or C8? And that is the end of the Map Corner quiz. One of the pleasures of doing Map Corner is uh, to get feedback and insight from from our listeners. And uh, one listener who is a real uh, treasure as far as the show is is, is uh, R. Ken McDonald. And here is his picture postcard. For years, I've been a pedestrian commuter here in Durham, North Carolina. But since the lockdown began, my home-to-work commute has been a closed loop, meaning it can go any direction I want it to between point A and, well, point A redux. I'm walking more than ever, both to compensate for the closing of my gym and to discover more of my adopted hometown. I soon conceived a notion to create a mental map based purely on my direct experience with the ultimate goal of reducing it to paper I refuse to check my phone or any sort of actual map, even if I'm lost. Three and a half months into this project, I've mentally mapped a two and a half mile radius, stretching from my door in all directions, including neighborhoods I'll admit I'd never walked before for fear of being the only one of my race. Somehow the pandemic seemed to trump such concerns, and in the end I discovered diversity where I didn't expect it. And even where I was, the only white guy, I grew okay with it, though not always. East of Fayetteville Road, where there are so many abandoned homes and buildings, in the very poorest part of Durham, I felt like a tourist in my own city. While I document my daily walks on social media, I, I took no pictures there. A few days later came the murder of Ahmed Arbery, and my discomfort as the only white person on those streets was put in stark perspective. And then came the murder of George Floyd. My wife and I joined the protest downtown one night and I again took no pictures, not wanting to be a protest tourist. My walks changed after that, gravitating more downtown, documenting how our shuttered city remained unmarred by the largely peaceful protests and how the preemptive plywood on the windows became a medium for protest art. But my walks still span the compass rows, and I'm still discovering the lovely Art Deco buildings, kitschy yard art, creepy cemetery monuments, and whole neighborhoods previously unknown to me. And now, I think I'm going to set my mental map to paper 
and then, and only then, check it against a real map. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, I've got to say, uh, Ken, that utterly gave, gave me goosebumps. And, and thank you for, for sharing that uh, with us. Um, it was utterly brilliant. Have you done your map, Ken? I'm, well, I've done a bunch of pieces of it. I, I tried a first draft, and then I realized there were too many holes, too many, you know, there be dragons. So I, I've started drawing little bits and pieces. I'm going to assemble it all together. I, I do want to have a comprehensive map of the radius. And, you know, it, it's true that I've discovered there are places you don't walk just reflexively because you feel like an outsider. And in Durham, that's very true. We have a lot of juxtaposition of rich and poor, which also tends to be black and white. Uh, just the other day I was walking, I was actually listening to the latest edition of The Things That Made England. And I, I walked from the richest neighborhood in Cleveland, I mean in Durham, excuse me, where I live now, I went back to Cleveland. Uh, but from the richest neighborhood, Forest Hills, and then almost immediately into the projects, it's just those kind of juxtapositions are things I normally would have avoided except possibly in an automobile. But now I'm doing it and, and it's been fine and uh, it's been a discovery, but I, I, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to look at a printed map or go online and look at a Google map until I feel ready. And that, let me be a while yet. Now, this is the time when I've got to say to everybody, uh, feel free to unmute your microphones because we do have Matt here from the Explorers podcast and um, it is um, a rather good podcast. So this is your time basically to ask him questions about any Explorer there's ever been because yeah. he knows everything. You know, he wouldn't have set himself up as a podcast. He was such a podcast if he didn't know everything about them. So if you've got a question uh, for Matt about specific Explorer, uh, feel free to jump in my, my my first question back to you matt is we have the age of discovery and you know it starts with maybe um 
John the Explorer in in Portugal, and then it goes to some some period in the sixteenth seventeenth century. Um, but who would you say would be the last truly intrepid explorer? Intrepid explorer. You probably end up going to some of the Arctic and Antarctic people then. Um, just and when you say intrepid, you mean just like did something well, like you know, like wow. Well, I suppose I put that word in to mask the fact that my thinking about it is 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 a little bit woolly. I love space explore, exploration. You know, eight year old me used to wet my trousers thinking about astronauts going to space but it's it but it wasn't the same there were so many known unknowns and for them going into space as opposed to francis drake going around the world you know they had he had they had so much more support those guys so were they explorers yes is it the same as those guys back 400 years beforehand I don't think so. So the word intrepid just means that I don't quite know myself, but it doesn't feel the same. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, I think so. And and I agree with you as, as you talk about space. Space exploration has probably been the safest exploration. If you take all the people who have ever gone into space, and you know, obviously we've had tragedies, the Challenger, and and uh, and things like that, and Apollo One. But if you take the amount of people who have gone into space and who have unfortunately died, the percentage, it's a lot lower than if you just like the millions or whatever people who just sailed out on trading expeditions across the, the oceans and so forth and never came back. Um, so, yeah, I, I get that. And I think that, that I'll, I'll just go back to then some of the Arctic and Antarctic type explorers. Um, I think there was a a huge, still, even up until the early 1900s, a, still a huge chance that these guys, and they were usually men, so I say guys, could die, you know, if they make one mistake. Um, and the elements are huge around them. Uh, and all those things I talked about, adapting to, her, to, your, uh, to your surroundings, um, being prepared, um, communication, not necessarily that big of a deal, uh, um, although it could be in, in some cases. But the guys like um, Ruel Munson, when he went to the South Pole, he or the North, yeah, he did the South Pole. But he also did was the first person to actually go through the Northwest Passage on a ship. Um, you know, we knew what the Northwest pa West Passage was, but no one had ever done it. Um, and it took him like three years because he was sitting in middle of nowhere locked in in the ice hoping that it was going to unlock in the uh in the spring you know or the summer and so that you know the shackleton story obviously people know about shackleton um i don't think there's any more inspiring of a tale than hopping in a little 40 or whatever foot boat and sailing 800 miles across really rough waters to get you you and your men to safety that, that that's hard to top and and those guys some of those guys are probably um the most intrepid if you want to if you want to call that um call those people that in regards to those classic ocean people um 
I mean, the James, James Cook's explore, explorations in the 1700s are just probably unsurpassed. I don't think anyone covered the amount of territory that he ever did um, as an explorer. And I don't, you know, there are still people obviously looking around, but that was really that last heyday of those great naval expeditions um, to go explore stuff short of kind of going for the Northwest Passage and going around Antarctica. Um, so that would probably be that. Um, I, I, two things. Number one, I need to correct myself. I said Prince John. And of course, it's Henry the Navigators who, who actually I meant. Prince yeah. Henry uh, from Portugal. And then the other thing is, and you kind of neatly brought this back for me, um, is something that you said before about the explorers in Australia. And it's, they were just dumb. That, right. that specific one. In, there were good ones, you know. Okay. Um, us Brits um, love um, heroic failure. And Scott of the Antarctic is kind of key to that. And, you know, it's the early 1900s. It's just before the First World War. And as you said, you know, the Antarctic is like the last frontier, really. And, uh, and he sets off with lots of bravado. Whereas the Norwegians do this scientifically, don't they? And not only do they beat Scott to the Antarctic, they get out alive. Now, us Brits say that Scott of the Antarctic and Captain Oates, it's a wonderful, romantic failure. You know, were they just dumb? To a degree, yes. Yes. And and I and in a Munson, you know, I, I go back to some of these things. He learned, he, he, if you look at what he wore, his stuff is like what the Inuit people in the North wore because he understood how important it was. I mean, he, he actually like listened to them and, and learned from them. And you don't get that with Scott and guys like that. They're still wearing 17 layers of wool clothes. And then when you start sweating and then it gets 40 below, you it freezes underneath your things and you feel like crap. Um, yet he, Amundsen and his men are running around in wicking, you know, furs, and they're just fine that way. Um, so yeah, there and, and it's an arrogance too. There's an arrogance like, how can we be wrong? You know, and the Robert Burke thing is perfect. It's like, I don't need these people. Of course, I'm a Brit. I can know how to do this. You know, that sort of thing. You you kind of get that that thing with 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 Burke and with some of these guys and it happens those there are some of those people that are just like that they walk in there with 40 guys into africa thinking they can just march in in red coats and be fine and three months later every one of them are dead um it's it's a combination of stupidity and arrogance um but it, it's also like you say they play it up it's it's romantic and you know and, and i always thought think of of when I, we talked about Burke, it, he, he had this romantic vision of, of he wanted to be a knight from the 15th century, not, uh, um, not necessarily uh, a guy from the, the 19th. He, he, he had that romance in his head, and, and that's what he wanted more than anything. It calls upon me, everybody, to say this is your last chance. If you've got a question uh, for Mr. Matt Breen, I, I, you need to get it in here quickly before, before we move on because the podcast's overrunning. But okay, then, Becky, um, ask your question. Um, sure. Hi, Matt. Um, so my question is, what do you think the next big exploration will be? Um, I think that uh, uh, we have two options here. One, 
will be Mars. Well, not even Mars, the moon. It will probably go back to the moon first. And it will be establishing, and this is not Royfold, you may, may even know this better as a space nerd. Um, it might be something to the effect of setting up a staging system there to go to Mars at some point on the space. Now that we're talking decades away on that. Um, here in uh, Earth, on Earth, we've kind of done everything above ground, I would say. And we have this kind of a, um, right now we kind of do, I don't want to say exploration, but it almost becomes more adventure where it's like, I'm going to cross the North Pole, you know, the art, you know, holding a dog while smoking a cigar, you know, it, it becomes almost like a, uh, a game so that someone can then write a book about it and become a, a speaker. Um, so I don't really see that as quote unquote exploration. Um, I think the interesting stuff, and this is something that I, I don't know a ton about, but it's, it's fascinating is undersea stuff and understanding um, what's down there. And I think that that is, I mean, when you have, trenches that are 20,000 or whatever feet deep. I mean, that's unbelievable to think about what they could find. Now, obviously we're not going to be discovering, you know, well, probably not discovering civilizations, um, but um, you don't know what's going to be there and what could come out of that in regards to, um, you know, species or, or even finite economics, because, you can find stuff down there that you can all of a sudden become like, hey, this is really valuable or a really amazing way to, to, uh, um, to uh, I say exploit, but that's the way it is. Um, so those are the kind of the things. We don't really have a whole heck of a lot of things left. Um, but I will say this, the other thing about the past, I do think that there's a, it's almost, I would say almost archaeology is a lot of, exploration in a lot of ways of uncovering. I still think like in Central America and South America, I think there's, there, we're going to still find amazing. We still do every day. They're, they're uncovering these cities and they'll like map them out. Oh, it's like 20,000 people lived here. And it's just like, and it's literally covered with jungle. And you're just like, how did that happen? So those are some of the cool things. I love those stories. You know, to me, that's just the old adventure fun in me. So um, that's really what I would say. Nick, you're going to be the last person that's going to ask Matt a question. I, I was going to say, these explorers, the early ones, do, do you think it's empire building and religion was a lot to do with well, why they did it? And maybe that's why other places didn't, didn't do that. I, I wonder what your thoughts about that were. Religion is a huge part of not just exploration. It's a, it's a huge part of any culture and the way any empire, any country looks to expand or whatever. And there are elements of exploration um, that are uh, people embrace religion in certain ways that, that are really, really important. And I look at, we talked, started with Ferdinand Magellan. Ferdinand Magellan died in the surf of the Philippines because he was, got obsessed with creating Christian kingdoms in, in the Far East. Um, if he had just went like, okay, these guys are cool deal with it, move on. He might've gotten home. He might've, he might've, but he got involved and religion was a huge thing. I tend to be a cynical person, I think. <laughs> and I think a lot of times 
religion is used by people as a tool to justify some of the things that we have that that would happen. Um, I'm, I, I did my show on Cortez uh, last year and into this year, and and I always look at the writings of Cortez, and a lot of what is done, he cloaks in religious things, and he takes the Aztecs, for instance, and he calls them cannibals and human sacrifice, which is very non-Christian thing to do. You don't can't you don't eat other people. Um, and you don't have human sacrifice. Now we're fine with slavery and just murdering people and raping people, you know, that's fine, but you don't do those things. So he sit, you'd, you'd write those things and he, he cloaks it in. So people would go, Oh my God, we have to bring Christianity there. But at the same time, we can go and conquer them and take their cool stuff and their silver and gold and their, their cool things. There are very honest people though, who it was a very, very big thing to bring religion to, to people. I mean, it's uh, um, without question that, that, that there are people who have that totally within their, their hearts and minds. Um, does it, I think there's times where it, it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I think David Livingston, who was one of the most famous explorers of Africa, um, he, was more, he was more interested in Christian missionary work and he established all these missions and so forth. Yet in the end, a lot of what he did was more promotion of British colonialism because he felt British colonialism would bring religion to the people of Africa. Yet in reality, a lot of that never happened, yet the colonialism part did. Um, so I'm all over the board here on this one, so I, I forgive me if I'm not actually answering your question, but I think you're, the answer is, it happens. Yes and no. I do tend to be a little cynical and, and find that religion um, is used. Again, not that necessarily that the religious people at times um, would have advocated that. And there were definitely people who fought against it. Um, but it, it, uh, uh, it was definitely on people's minds, but it wasn't always the number one thing. And I think it was used um, to do a lot of other things. So. Thank you for, for, for a great question there, Nick. Um, Claire, uh, we need to go on uh, to Facebook and or do all the socials because uh, otherwise uh, we're going to um, forget all about them and then people will be saying, you forgot Facebook and the socials. Uh, the Facebook group continues to grow. We've had a lot of new members recently, actually. So we're up to about 240 members there. So welcome to everyone who's uh, joined the Facebook group. Um, some of the most recent uh, popular posts in the group were uh, quiz related. Uh, so recently this week, we've had four four people, I think, got 10 out of 10 on the land borders quiz that I posted. Um, I, didn't I wasn't one of them, Claire. I wasn't. No, I wasn't one of them either. Um, but also um, Stephen Bowden, who's obviously a stalwart of the Facebook group, has posted his own quiz, which was not easy um, and, and certainly got a lot of people thinking. Um, so uh, I don't know how many people have, have stolen that quiz for their own personal, you know, Zoom family quiz, but uh, there's some really tricky stuff there. Um, I thought I, one of the things I really liked on the, the Facebook group recently was uh, Ken's post around the map showing which countries use subtitles and which countries use dubbing uh, on films. And I, I really recognise that from living you know, different places in, in Europe and how that 
how that plays through. So and that's the kind of map I really enjoy about where you can show information quite quickly on a on a, on a map. Um, and one of the most beautiful maps that was there recently was uh, one that uh, Chris Malcolm posted, which was where solar eclipses take place. And because they they take place in a sort of elliptical way, which obviously doesn't translate while I'm waving my fingers on the Zoom, but it doesn't translate to a podcast. Um, but the shape of a solar eclipse uh, is that beautiful sort of wave. And on a map, that comes over really nicely. So I, I thought that was a really a really lovely map. And we had a couple of good stuff in the uh, Twitter feed, especially around Black Lives Matter. There's been some really interesting posts around... Um, you know, where which Scottish people did well out of slavery, which black explorers we should be more aware of and know the stories of. And I think we, we, we're certainly chasing down some of that for a future episode of our podcast. Can, can I um, quick, quickly jump in? Because the yeah. Scottish, I saw that Scottish post about um, where families in Scotland directly benefited from slavery. And, and the story is, that when the British Empire abolishes slavery, I think it's about 1832, it was round about there, um, they gave compensation to the to the slave holders. And so, so the map is showing where these families actually were. Um, and I've said this on another podcast of mine, but um, I am genetically part Scottish and most uh, people of West Indian or African-American descent have some element of white European blood in us because of the slave martyrs having their way with the slaves. And so within my family, we know this and we know that we're Scottish and, and uh, part Scottish, sorry. And the name uh, of our Scottish family is the Duffus family. And the Duffus family were on the map. So for me personally, to go and look at that, so the, family, so the Duffus family, are the seat of the Duffus family is just outside of Inverness, in Naren, um in in the Highlands of Scotland, and there it was. So wow. for me personally, that was a real, dare I say, <laughs> OMG uh, kind of kind of moment. So yeah, yeah, no, it's, and, and you know we we only paid that debt off in two thousand and five. Is it? There's there's obviously there's usually less on the Twitter, but there's a lot on the Facebook group, and it is a it's a really friendly, lively group. So uh, definitely encourage anyone if you're listening to the podcast and you're not on the Facebook group do come along and join us because we are uh, a great bunch of people there. Fab. So, so that, that, that's the socials. Um, so I think now, um, everybody, you probably need your quiz questions answered. Which country has the majority of the Atlas Mountains? It's A, Algeria. And I did not know that, Claire. Claire posed this question and that was news to me, folks. I would have actually gone for Morocco. I would have been wrong. Uh, next question. Which is the flattest continent? I got this one right. It's B, Australia. We don't think of Antarctica as being particularly mountainous, but uh, more so than Australia. Um, which is England's southernmost city? It is B, Truro. It's the in Cornwall, the sticky outy bit, which um, is further south than Southampton and Bournemouth. Which? How many countries use the peso as a currency? The answer is eight. I must admit, that's put utter stab in the dark for me. I, I, I went for seven just because. It's Mexico, Argentina, Chile, Colombia, Cuba, Dominican Republic, the Philippines, and Uruguay. So if I come back on to uh, gallery view, here we all are, folks. And hello, Abby Sue. 
Um, you're hiding yourself away. Lovely to see you again, Pat. Um, hold your hand up if you got many questions. Question before you do that, that though, uh, is it eight point for each of the three countries on the one that had mm -hmm. three, or is it? All right. Oh yeah, no, that's a point for each. Point for each. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, so that's a one, two, three, eight. I think there, there are eight questions there. Yeah, eight. Right. Who got all eight? Becky in in Washington D.C. Uh, how about seven? Do we have seven? Six. Yay! Go, Ken. <laughs> what did you get wrong, Ken? I put Cameroon instead of Chad, and I put Morocco instead mm -hmm. of Algeria. Cameroon's right next door to Chad. They share a border, even. Yeah, so yeah, I almost want to give you that, but 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 you, you won anyway. You won anyway. How many did you get, Pat? You got five. How about you, Becky? <laughs> oh, all right. Well, let, let's just pass on that then. How about you, Nick? You know, you're you're our reigning champion. You got five, five. Can't really ask you, can, can I, Claire? Because you did you did half the questions. No, I have to say I didn't do very well in the ones I didn't set. All right, um, Abby Sue. I'm a bit lagging behind a bit. I apologise, I was very late, <laughs> so I didn't see the questions. Oh, be better late than never. So you know what, I'm going to say you, you would have aced it, you would have got all late. Yes. <laughs> I, I feel this in my water. Royfield, <laughs> she, Royfield, she didn't get any wrong. There Although you I think go. Ken might feel robbed, justifiably. I, I accept uh, your judgment. <laughs> Claire, are we just about finished? Can we fold up our maps? I think we can fold up our maps, absolutely, unless you want a map fact of the month. Oh, go on, give us a map fact. Well, uh, it's uh, it's a bit of a it's a topical one, um, and it's the fact that you can find a map that will show you where to see fireworks on the fourth of July in the US. So if you're in the US and you want to see fireworks, uh, you can. There is a sort of crowdsourced map that will show you where to get them. Can can Ken, Becky, and Pat run out and get this map like now? Because by the time we edit this and put it out, it will not be the fourth of July. Fair point. <laughs> Um, listen, uh, everybody, thank you for being part of uh, Map Corner and thank you to Matt Breen. It's an excellent podcast. You are an excellent host. And I'm looking forward to having you on Intelligent Speech at the end of the year at my on online conference. Again, thank you, everybody, for being part of this uh, wondrous uh, thing, the thing that we uh, we commune and we celebrate the whole lovely world of maps through this podcast. I think we can sort of all say goodbye and we'll follow up on maps and we'll see you on the first Saturday every month at a pro not even approximately exactly at this time where um, we'll do another map corner on Zoom. Yeah, and next month we're talking about games based on maps. Excellent. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.